All right, we're into Romans 5. <clears throat> and uh, if you weren't around for Romans uh, 1 through 4, I want to encourage you to, to read uh, that um, perhaps this week sometime. Uh, or even go online and catch up with our sermon series because it's pretty clear, isn't it, that Paul is in the middle of an extended presentation of the gospel. And we know this because of the very first word in chapter 5, that word, therefore. Uh, and then he goes on to sort of recap his message so far. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Now, this is the good news of the gospel in a nutshell, right? That in the divine cosmic courtroom, where the verdict clearly ought to have been guilty, you have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And now Paul in Romans chapter 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 will go on to describe the difference that justification makes in the life of the believer. And so I've got three simple points uh, this evening. It's since we have been justified, we have peace with God, access to grace and the hope of glory. So first, since we have been justified, we have peace with God. Now, it's very important to realise that this is not the same as the peace of God. And so actually in, in, in Phil's prayer, he mentioned those verses in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests of God, uh, requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is a more subjective peace and confidence that God is sovereign and that God is loving. But this here is peace with God, implying, friends, that actually there was a state of war between us. Now, that might sound a little drastic to you, but that is the reality or was the reality of our situation. You see, when we do what we want to do, not what God wants us to do, when we sin, we are effectively claiming kingship over ourselves and of our world. But of course the problem is that God claims kingship over the very same things. God claims kingship over us and of our world. And so naturally there is conflict. And so to have peace with God then means that this state of war that existed between us and him is now over. And he won and he won not by killing us, but by dying for us. And it's actually this idea of peace that brackets these verses we just read to us. Thanks for that, Alex. Even in verse 11, we will read that we have now received reconciliation. And so this peace is not simply calling for some, some sort of temporary truce. It is a lasting peace, a lasting harmony. Okay, so since we've been justified, we have second, access to grace. First half of verse 2 there. There's a famous uh, picture of John F. Kennedy Jr. or John John, as he was known as a child, uh, playing in the Oval Office. Here it is. I wonder whether you've seen some version of this before. 
Um, his, his father was arguably the most powerful man in the world. And uh, no doubt was in the middle of some important business. And yet, John John had complete access to him. And so here's another picture of John John and his sister Caroline playing inside the Oval Office. And friends, so it is with us and our Heavenly Father. In Christ, we've been given an all-access pass. We've been ushered into the royal throne room. And there we stand. And to stand there, by the way, means that we remain there. There's no revolving door through which we, we come and go. It's a definitive change of status. It is not a game of snakes and ladders. And what I mean by that is this. The way we think of our relationship with God, well, we tend to think of it as like climbing up or sliding down. It's moving in or out of his favour. We tend to think that if, if we've had a really good week, well, he must be really pleased with us. And we move further up and further in. But if we've had a really lousy week, well, God must be really angry with us. And we move further out and further away. Now, that is the way we tend to think of our relationship with God because that is the way in which so many of our fallen relationships work. Right? But it is a lie. The truth is that if you are a Christian, you can never be closer to God than you are today. You might feel like you're climbing up or sliding down and is moving in or out of his favour, but the Bible says that you have gained access by faith into a state of grace in which you now firmly and safely and securely live. Third, since we've been justified, we have hope of glory, the second half of verse 2 there. Now, the word, in hope, uh, the word hope in English is actually quite a, a weak word, isn't it? Um, but actually in Greek, it's a very strong word. It's, it's, it's more like a conviction. It's more like a conviction. What gives us confidence to go out and face the day is the hope of the glory of God. That is heaven. And so back in chapter 3, we read those words, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But believers are actually promised glory through the only one who didn't sin, through the only one who didn't fall short of the glory of God. So what difference does justification make in the life of a believer? Well, since we have been justified, we have one, peace with God, two, access to grace, and three, hope of glory. Now, do you see what Paul has done there? He is securing our Christian walk in something that has happened, justification, and in something that will happen, glorification, heaven. I want you to think of the Christian walk for a moment as like crossing a rope bridge, spanning a deep chasm. The sort you see in, in movies. Except, unlike the ones you see in the movies, this one is securely fixed at both ends. One end being justification, 
and the other glorification. Now, this is all very well in good times, but what about bad times? I mean, what does difference does peace with God and access to grace and hope of glory make when a storm is brewing on the horizon and the bridge begins to sway? What about when we're in the midst of pressure or distress or suffering? How can I be sure that I will make it? Let's read on these couple of verses. Paul writes, not only so, but we also glory, that is rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, just to be clear, Paul does not say that we're to rejoice for our sufferings. He says we're to rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because for a Christian, Paul says that suffering begins a chain reaction. Turns out that suffering does not break you. It makes you. Suffering produces perseverance. Helps us focus on where it is that we're going. And that we are putting one foot in front of the other. Perseverance leads to character. There's this growing confidence and maturity and and poise that only comes from having been trained and tested. It's the difference between a team who has been in the finals before versus a team who hasn't and ends up choking. And I was trying to think of some sort of origin joke I could make at this point, but I couldn't figure out how to make it work in my favour. So I'm not going to make it. (laughs) The suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance leads to character and character to this growing hope. Hope in our peace with God, access to grace and hope of glory. You see, suffering has this way of removing everything else that we put our hope in, whether it be our wealth or possessions, whether it be our safety or security, or our friends or our family. Suffering actually drives us to the one place in which we can find hope, and that is in God. It turns out suffering does not break you. It makes you. It begins a chain reaction that leads to hope. And I know that actually many of you can testify to this, as I can in my own Christian walk. And so we rejoice in our sufferings, not because it's fun, but because it produces an assurance of eternal salvation. Christian experience has its struggles. But when a storm is brewing on the horizon and the bridge begins to sway, when we're in the midst of suffering or pain or distress or pressure, what matters is this, that both ends of that bridge are securely fixed. And as we put one foot in front of the other, that we have access to grace And friends, our hope is based on God's love for us in Christ. And the way in which we are assured of this is through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because 
God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, justification can feel a little like receiving a certificate. You might might even frame your certificate, put it on the wall, right? That's what it can feel like. But actually, through the Holy Spirit, every Christian has some inner experience of God's love. Now, this can be a very strong experience, though it can be quite mild and gentle too, which is probably more common. It's an internal and subjective assurance. But we have assurance that it's external and objective too. So Paul goes on, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've uh, created my own little informal catechism with my kids. Uh, And so uh, when I say goodnight, I'll often say, you know, mummy and daddy love you very much. And then occasionally I'll follow up with this. I'll say, but who loves you more than mummy and daddy? And the answer, God. And then I ask, but how do you know that God loves you? The answer is, because he sent Jesus to die for me. Now, as they grow older, they're going to understand more and more as to what that means. But the point is that we have this external and objective assurance of God's love too. And notice, what sort of love is it? It is an entirely unmerited love. It's unearned. It's love for the powerless and for the ungodly and for the sinner. And we're assured of it through the person of the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts and the work of the Holy Spirit points us to the cross of Christ. And so our hope is based on God's love for us in Christ. Our hope is also based on the way that God has acted for us in Christ, okay? He goes on, Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we will reconcile to him through the death of his son, well, how much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, it's just worth taking one of these sentences at a time, okay? As we know, as you know, from having read Romans so far, justification is legal language, okay? It's it's language from the courtrooms. That is, he has declared us innocent and has counted Jesus' righteousness to us. And Paul's point is that having been justified how much more certain is it that we're going to be saved from his wrath? I recently heard a a very, very um, helpful illustration to do with this. Uh, A young child was frightened by an angry bee. Okay, so you can imagine this situation. And suddenly her father gasps. And he says, it's all right now, my darling. You're quite safe. The bee has stung me and it cannot sting twice. Now, this is a beautiful little illustration of what the Lord Jesus has done for us on the cross. On the cross, God himself paid the penalty of our sin and he cannot possibly 
make you or I pay for it again. In fact, it would be quite unjust for him to do so. And he is perfectly just. If you have been justified, your sin has been paid for and your future is absolutely secure. But that is not all because reconciliation is a relational language. That is, through the death of Christ, he's removed the hostility that existed between us and him and through the resurrection of Christ has restored an eternal relationship. Paul is saying, look, if he didn't give up on you while you were at war with him, what makes you think that he's going to give up on you now that you're at peace with him? Given what God has already done for us in Christ, it is just inconceivable that he would fail to save us to the end. Earlier I asked you to think of the Christian walk as like crossing a rope bridge spanning a deep chasm but is securely fixed at both ends. One end in something that has happened, justification, and the other end in something that will happen, glorification, that is heaven. Now, it's not the perfect illustration, but what matters is this, that both ends of the bridge are securely fixed. And as we put one foot in front of the other, that we have access to grace as we stumble and fall and as we trip over ourselves. This is what gives us the confidence to go out and face whatever the coming days or weeks or months may bring for you. I'm going to allow just a few moments now for you to pray in the quietness of your own hearts in reflection of this Incredible, these incredible words in Romans 5. And then I'll, I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that having been justified, we have peace with you, that we have access to grace, and we have the hope of glory. We thank you that both ends of this rope bridge, both ends of our Christian walk are securely fixed. In what you have done, and in what you will do. And we thank you that as we put one foot in front of the other, that we have access to grace. And so we pray that we might be confident that you might assure us of the work in which you have done for us in Christ and the end to which you will bring us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.